0: Special service because we're going to be installing Pastor Pablo and Rachel as staff pastors and youth and family pastors at Grace Assembly. Today is a special day for that. You'll have an opportunity to meet their family, their parents, and grandparents uh, uh, as we get toward the end of the service. And uh, for those of you that are familiar here, the last couple of weeks, we've been away at uh, General Council in Orlando. And uh, one of the things that I love about going to general councils, not only the business, which I enjoy seeing the business of our movement getting done together, but what I enjoy more than anything else is going to services at night that I don't have to preach, that I don't have to plan, that I don't have to carry the anxiousness. Is everything going on time? Uh, did all the announcements get made? I get to just sit there and criticize everybody. No, I don't. <laughs> I just get to sit there and, number one, and sit with my wife. We forgot how enjoyable that is just to sit together in a service and, um, and be ministered to. In fact, the first night, Doug Clay, our general superintendent, was preaching about the call of God. And, and as it got to the end of the, the service and he gave an altar call, I, I, I was sitting there with Cindy and I said, so this is what it feels like to be in an altar call. I said, then let's set an example and let's go, you know, and, and to be able to respond to the altar and just stand there and, and have the showering blessings of God just to touch our hearts was great. Uh, In one of the services, they called all of us up front, and then in kind of what is a switch from the past, they asked all the young pastors if they would find older pastors to pray for. So Cindy and I immediately began to look for old pastors, only, only to be surrounded by young pastors laying their hands on us. It was a defining moment. And I got over feeling offended fairly quickly when they began to pray. And to hear these young pastors pray as they laid hands on Cindy and I, stirred our hearts. They prayed with such Pentecostal fervor. They prayed with prophetic power. They prayed with a fervency that is born of the spirit of god that left me at the end of that prayer not only were we in tears we walked out of there thinking you know what the assemblies of god is in good hands there is a generation that's rising up that is not ashamed to be pentecostal that's not ashamed to walk in the gifts not ashamed to pastor the gifts in a congregation that's not ashamed to begin to believe god for miracles Not ashamed to believe that the last day's revival that will be poured out will be poured out in their generation. And uh, I walked out of there far less, less fearful about the future of the movement than I had at other times. And was tremendously blessed and thankful for that. But it's with that renewed spiritual boost that Cindy and I got that we came back. And Cindy had 24 hours to wash her clothes and then she jumped on an airplane to go be with her mom and dad who celebrated their 60th anniversary this week. And uh, you can keep her father in prayer. Uh, and so before school starts, she needed to get out of here and have a chance with them. And so that's where she's at today. But she's praying for all of us. So today I want to speak to you in this installation service about the topic of proclaiming the truth in love. Primarily today, I'm going to be preaching to Pastor Pablo and Pastor Rachel. But you get to listen in. We're setting the guide rails for what their ministry in this congregation is going to look like and what the expectations of not only their savior but what the expectations of the word are for a minister I believe that through this you will likewise feel a peace in your spirit that there is things that are taking place that you can feel comfortable in your heart that God is leading and guiding this church we belong to him we're not building our own kingdom we're building his kingdom and we're at work within him and so if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul as he's beginning to express himself as a pastor's heart toward the church at Corinth. And he says, now I am ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you. Because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Father, as we come before you this morning at this very special time for our church, as we see the transition take place in in ministerial leadership, as we see a couple lord that you've got your hands upon and you have led them and we believe that you have divinely sent them here. I pray today that during this installation service that there would be a refining of the call of God upon their life and that we as a congregation with open arms would connect well with them, understanding that you have sent them here for a purpose and we desire to have an atmosphere in this church where that purpose may be fulfilled. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and everyone said amen. These are the words of Paul whose heart and life were an embodiment of what Jesus Christ expected from those whom he has called into the ministry. Paul's life was a life that was given to people on behalf of God, and it's the same case for every true servant of God. When the call of God is laid upon the shoulders of an individual, whether it be a man or a woman, and by the way, I understand Pastor Julie preached a great message last week. I had somebody call me and said, she's way better than you are, Pastor. And I said, man, I am so glad to hear that. And they said, you took that way better than we wanted you to. I said, I intend for everybody on the staff to be way better than I am. But I'm thankful that God places his hand upon men and women. And Paul was one of those men that was willing... After the call of God was placed upon him to travel through storms and floods and fires and to endure personal longing and want and to be pressed above measure to a point where sometimes he despaired of living. Yet it was all in order that he might fulfill the call of God upon his life to be all that God wanted him to be as he delivered the message of love to those that were in need of it. Paul's spirit of dedicated love for those that he is trying to reach and those that he is pastoring is an example for all of us who are pastors and teachers and missionaries. It reveals a committed love, like the love of a father for his children. It's a love that's ready to be spent to the utmost for the sake of others, a love that does not think of itself but shows a genuine concern for those that God has brought into their realm or their sphere of influence. And in return for all of this, Paul says he seeks nothing except that the people whom he would minister would turn their heart toward Christ. And every faithful minister of the gospel should have this same heartbeat beating within them. Paul began to recognize, however, that the more he began to express the truth of the word of God, there were those that would receive the word with gladness, but there were also those that would begin to reject that because it came in contrast to the way they wanted to live their life. And so in that decision-making process, there were those that would believe and begin to pull away because they did not want to be a follower of Jesus. And in follow-up to the text that we read, he goes on to say in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time, and now I repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. What was happening at this particular time in history is the Corinthian church was sitting right in the middle of a city that was in a moral abyss. In fact, in the middle of the city stood a major temple that had more than 1,000 temple prostitutes. In fact, outside of those that were following Christ, prostitution was considered an act of worship in that degraded society. Clearly, Paul was speaking to people in a society where wrong was being considered right. And that those things which were right were being considered wrong. As I began to recognize that, I thought, that doesn't seem all that dissimilar to what we are experiencing today within our nation. We are facing a situation where God has planted His church and anointed His pastors... To bring forth a word of truth to a world and to an America that's beginning to say those things which are wrong are right. And that which we know is right is now being condemned as wrong. And yet it was not the conditions of the world that changed the message, but the message that changes the condition of the world when it is proclaimed. And that's the dilemma of human condition. In fact, the longer that we begin to live and do things that the word considers to be sin, our fallen nature will rise to the forefront and begin to defend ourselves in those things, proclaiming it to be right. Paul recognized that if those people continued to willfully do wrong and make peace with themselves with things that God had declared that they should be free of as a result of the cross, that it would continue to degrade in front of them. And in Psalm 85, 6, there comes a cry that I pray is a cry for our church as well. And it's, oh, God, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? I am glad today that I stand here and that we are not a hopeless people and we are not a helpless people. We are on the side of righteousness and we are on the side of God. And God has a plan and God has a purpose by which he will outpour revival upon this land one more time but it requires, it requires that we who are in ministry and we who are children of God speak the truth. The promise tells us in 2 Chronicles 7:14: if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Church, do you begin to recognize that the things that we long for in the spiritual realm, we play a role in how they get here. There's a humility that is required of us and a seeking of God that is required of us that as we do so in obedience, there is a worldwide land revival and healing that takes place as the church stands on those things which are God's alone. So we come today... Praying deeply that there will be a spiritual revival, a spiritual renewal within Grace Assembly, that there will be a renewal within Syracuse, that God would touch our state, which desperately needs a touch of God, and then that it would spread to our world. Nothing is impossible to our God. And so, as a true pastor, Paul was attempting to bring them into a right way of thinking and a right way of living. So, I challenge you, Pastor Pablo and Pastor Rachel that in the generation in which you live, the generation in which God has called you to live, that what the world needs to hear from you is not your opinion, not your political views, but the word of God which transforms lives and changes those who are in darkness into life. It tells us in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16. It was he, he being God, who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, instead, and this is important, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does part in its work. So, Pastor Pablo. I am asking you to speak the truth in love to this church and to this generation. And if you will speak the truth in love, here's what I'm asking you to do. Number one, if you love them, I want you to challenge them. If you love his people, if you love his students, if you love this church, challenge us. And to the Congregation of Grace Assembly, if your pastors love you, you will be challenged, which means that you will not be able to come into a church service and not feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to lead you, to guide you, or to do something. If you come into a service and you leave there and you feel nothing has happened and nothing changed, then you're not in a place where the Spirit of God is moving. As pastors, we have to come to an understanding that we must be willing to be personally rejected for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ in order that people might ultimately find acceptance with God. Paul discovered in his life that when he faced ungodly lifestyles, he would not let them go without confronting them. When he... Heard people in unhealthy conversations within the church. He confronted them. Spoke to them in the truth and love. When we as pastors see things taking place that we recognize are outside the scriptural boundaries for the way that we are to live, we are called by God to begin to address those things in His Word. We're to challenge people on their concept of God. We're to challenge them on the direction that they are heading, knowing that this is what God has placed His hands upon us to do. A number of years ago when I first moved to Syracuse... I was told that I needed to go and, and find a car that would be suitable for the ministry of the district youth director. And so I had a car I wanted to drive, so I called the dealership and said, I'm going to be there at a certain time. If you'd please have a salesman there waiting, I would really appreciate it. And I arrived at the dealership. There was a young man by the name of Mike that came up to me, and I handed him my card. And he looks at it, and he goes, you're a minister, huh? There's, there's a sarcastic nature to me that I have to overcome all the time. You just have to know that. And my sarcastic nature was to say to him, no, I just wanted to print that up to see if you gave discounts. But I didn't go there. (laughs) And so he looked at my car, and he says, the car you want to drive is right out here. And we got in it, and it didn't take me very long to recognize that, that Mike was different than any car salesman I've ever been around. Like, he said nothing. So we're driving down the road, and I'm saying, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about the gas mileage of this vehicle. It's good. Okay. You know, I'm going to be driving a lot of miles. You know, what kind of engine expectancy can I have? It's good. Can you tell me about some of the things that Carl does? It, it'll do a lot. And I recognize as I'm driving along, and he's kind of looking out the far window, and then we have this moment where he says to me, he says, hey, since you're a minister, can I talk to you? And my first thought is, I'm driving in your car, on your gas. We can talk as long as you want. And he turned to me and he said, "I'm so sorry that I'm such a lousy salesman today. I'm I'm really sorry." He said, "I don't I don't know what to do and I don't know who to talk to." He said, two days ago, he said I got home from work. I was tired. I was exhausted, and immediately my wife. Who we've been married for three years. She meets me at the door and begins to yell about something that I hadn't done." He says, "We go inside and she just wouldn't stop." And he said, and "In a moment, I lost my mind and I turned around and I hit her right in the." Face. He said it was within minutes that she had packed a bag, took our, taken our two-year-old daughter, was walking out of the house, had called her father, and as he pulled up in the front, she stopped on the sidewalk and she turned and she looked at me and she pointed and she goes, Mike, I don't ever wanna see you again as long as I live. And she jumped in the car with her dad and drove off. He goes, I, I have been calling all the time trying to get in touch with her. He goes, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I don't know what I can do. He says, my life is in shambles. He goes, do you have any advice for me? We drove around for quite a while and we just talked. At one point I asked him, I said, can you tell me a little bit about your spiritual heritage, where you've come from? He said, I attended a church. He says, but all, he says, the only thing our pastor would ever talk about was was issues and politics. In fact, he says, I don't ever remember him ever, ever speaking of the Bible. And it began to dawn on me that there are places and people out there who are walking in real life issues that need things that only God can do and they're walking into places and they're not being confronted and challenged with the word of God. They're being challenged with things that don't really matter. And so a pastor who, do, who does not love you will not challenge you with what God has to say. In fact, God once said to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, Son of man, I have set you as a watchman over the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn that wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Therefore, Pastor Pablo and Pastor Rachel, what you need to know is that God has placed upon you an anointing to be a watchman on the wall, to begin to call out what you see. As God leads you and guides you, we must be coming to an understanding that we bear a tremendous weight of responsibility as pastors because one day we will stand before God and we will give an account for every word that we proclaim from this holy pulpit. We will give an account before God for what we did with the call of God, what we did with His anointing, what we did with the energy that His Holy Spirit provided for us. We will give an account for everyone who calls themselves a part of grace assembly who are under our care and so we must come to an understanding and think about what would happen if we didn't challenge you in the way that you were living if i didn't bother to set before you the victory of the cross didn't talk to you about the reason why god sent his son to die for you what would happen if we didn't unlock the full context of the word of god I want you to know I love preaching about heaven and I love preaching about grace and I love talking about the love of God but I must not and we must not neglect the fact that if we do not challenge you to come to a life of holiness and righteousness through Jesus Christ there will be some of you that will stand and point an accusing finger when you say why didn't you challenge us with the truth of the word of God and the anguish of those that will be lost will be deeper than I can imagine or portray to you so we who are pastors if we truly love you will never let you go to hell without a fight simply will not do it because you're worth too much to God and you're worth too much to us Jesus once explained in John 10 verses 12 through 13 the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away and the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I say this with great concern. I am worried about many of the churches in America that are being pastored by people who do not feel a call of God upon their life or an unction of the spirit that they are doing what they are created to do, but do it because it's a job. And as a result of that, when things get difficult or the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, they begin to jump and run and they leave the flock unprotected because they have come in as a hireling and not called of God, and not set aside, and not personally anointed for the task in which they are called to do. And I want you to know, Pastor Pablo Pastor Rachel... You are here today because we recognize in you that God has his hand upon you. He has called you and he has set you aside for just such a time as this. And we believe that you will speak with a prophetic voice to this generation, something that they need to hear and that you will not run when things get difficult because you are not hirelings but you are called by God to the task that he has presented you. And that what will matter will not be the accolades of the people but that you will be faithful to the God who has called you and anointed you for this task secondly if you love these people and you love this church and you love these youth you will not let them be deceived Paul said this to the Corinthian church in chapter 6 verse 9 of 1st Corinthians do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived In other words, it is the responsibility of your pastors to bring you to an understanding that sin is a trap. And if you are not allowed to understand that there is only one who can release you from that trap, then you are deceived. There are many people today who gladly come into the service. I see it week after week, and when we ask for those to, if you would respond to me today, would you just lift your eyes so that I can agree with you? And many people will lift their heads and agree because they know nobody else is looking around, but when they are asked to become a follower, now I need you to take a step. Many of them slip right outside the door because you see what they wanted was the grace of God without the responsibility of following God. And we who are your pastors must insist that you come to an understanding that it's only the followers of Jesus Christ that will inherit the kingdom of God that you are not allowed to sit here and say, I recognize that he is a savior and not let him be your savior and not have a changed life as a result of the sanctification that is provided for you. There are many people who want to have hell insurance and understand that Jesus is a savior. And yes, I have acknowledged that I've said a prayer, but I have never been willing to give up my sin for him and believe that somehow they will inherit heaven at the end of it. And if the pastor is not willing to tell you that God loves you, but that God desires obedience from you and that God desires that your nature be conformed to his nature, then you're deceived. Today there are many, many people that are making peace with their sin. They're allowing a twisted spiritual thinking to convince them that somehow they will be excused and they will not be held accountable. That God is so loving and gracious that He will overlook everything that I am doing, because God is good. First Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom? So do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Without a pursuit of the holiness of Jesus Christ. And pastors that will proclaim that to you, that will not allow you to be deceived, you will be in danger. You see, there is a great danger in having presented to this generation a Jesus who is here simply to meet all of their needs and to make us feel wonderful about ourselves, but never have to deal with the cross that he endured for us, never have to deal with the expectations that he has for us that has, of the issues that have separated us from him. And Paul went on to say, and that is what some of you were, you before, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words, some of you were these very things that were described before you came in contact, and you did so because you had a pastor that would proclaim to you, I do not want you to be deceived within this world. So Pastor Pablo, if you love us, you won't let us be deceived. Thirdly, if you you love us, you'll lead us to examine our spiritual lives. Paul would have been aware when he wrote this of the history of Israel under Joshua. He knew that there was a new generation that was about to go in and possess the promise of God after the previous generation was shut out because of their unbelief. But this new generation could not enter the promised land until the reproach of the society that had held them captive had been rolled away, and until they were clearly separated and identified as God's people, then God's promise would be allowed for them. I likewise see so many similarities in this with the culture in which we live in America. The theology has fallen in our society. The theology of what God means and what He wants and what He desires of us seems to have just collapsed in so many different places. But I have to tell you something. I told you one of my most enjoyable moments at council was being surrounded by young pastors that laid their hands on Cindy and I and prayed for us. But I went to a service, the celebration service at the youth convention side, where I saw twelve thousand students worshiping the Lord. By the way, it was loud. Just, it was loud. But what I saw there began to stir up in my heart that we we have a hope and we have a future. I saw students standing there with their arms lifted up, tears streaming down their faces, unashamed that they were Pentecostal kids because they understood there's a power that is given to them to go out and do the works of God in their generation. I saw them running to the altar to respond to calls, to whatever occupation God would call them to. They knew they were called, and they were going to live out that call that God wanted them. They were tired of being powerless. They were tired of living in a spiritual wilderness. They were tired of the name of Jesus being trampled under feet, and they were tired of just going to the motions. They wanted something real, and when I saw that, I recognized I'm thankful that they have Pastors and youth pastors that pre- preach the truth to them to teach them to examine their spiritual lives. It tells us in 2 Corinthians thirteen five, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? And unless of course, and unless of course you fail the test, examine yourselves. Pastor, I'm asking you to, when you preach the word, to bring us to a place where we examine ourselves. Teach us how to ask questions of ourselves like, am I living in victory? Victory doesn't always mean a great mood and it doesn't mean everything always goes well. Victory means there's a joy in my spirit that was planted there by my Savior that goes beyond the circumstances of my life. That I can smile and I know what's coming because I have a savior that says he walks with me and he talks with me and he leads me. And those circumstances may be difficult. I've got a joy and that joy gives me victory. Teach us to examine ourselves. Teach us to ask the questions. Do I have dominion over sin or does sin have dominion over me? And that when we ask ourselves those questions, present just as strongly in Pentecostal fervor the understanding that we have a Jesus that is a chain breaker and a life changer. Teach us to ask ourselves the questions Do I try to present an argument to justify my sinful practices? In other words, if somebody comes and confronts me with the way that I'm living or something that I'm doing, is the first response that I have one of trying to justify or make reasons for why I do this? Or is my first response one of humble, standing before God saying, Lord, if this is something you're bringing to my recognition, then let me allow you to work in it. Because if we justify ourselves and fight back and try to make arguments, then there's something that's not right within our spirit. Teach people when they're examining themselves to ask themselves questions Do I require a righteousness in others that I do not require in myself? Do I judge others harshly, hoping that I am never judged by the same standards by which I hold them to? Challenge us to ask ourselves questions like Do I ignore the convincing and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and do what I want to do anyway? Or am I obedient to the one who calls to change? So congregation, as we prepare to install Pastor Pablo and Pastor Rachel, I say to you, if you love us, you'll challenge us. If you love us, you'll not let us be deceived. And if you love us, you will teach us to examine ourselves truthfully in the light of our faith. Because if not, here's what happens. I do not want the pastors of this church to end up fashioning for you a Jesus which allows you to live in defeat while somehow you believe that you're serving God. I want to walk with God in honesty. I want you to come to an understanding that there are things that we forsake for the gospel of Jesus Christ and that when he breaks the chain of sin that we can be free and I'm going to trust the power of God to do that I'm going to trust the power of called man and woman of God to challenge us in that. So Pablo and Rachel, before we lay before you the challenge of the ministry of your generation here at Grace Assembly, knowing the one that will call you, the one that has called you and set you aside, will equip you to speak the truth in love to our students and to this congregation. <laughs>